I think fractional work is the future for a lot of people. Hey friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn, here at the Portfolio Career Podcast to help you take ownership of your career and design a life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Bethany Crystal. Since December 2022, it seems like Bethany and I had been overlapping in a bunch of interesting ways. And more recently, she was thankfully able to attend a podcast mixer event of mine, and I wanted to get to know her more uh, and chat about becoming fully fractional a full-time fractional worker, meaning she works on multiple things at the same time. In this episode, you'll learn about how and why she does fractional work, why most CEOs are open to thoughtful outreach emails, hyper-local community, why you may need to build your own community. She also has been blogging since 2016, so definitely check out a lot of her articles on Medium, and we talk about so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also subscribe to my Substack called Portfolio Career, which I sign out every two weeks. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Bethany. So um, we're not wearing name tags, but uh, <laughs> I'm a fan of name tags and uh, name tags at a wedding. <laughs> it was such a win. I can't even tell you. <laughs> what was the, what, what was I like, call it the inspiration? And then what would you say is like the benefits from that? Well, people will tell you that a wedding is really magical because you're bringing together everyone that is important to you and your partner in one room for the very first time. However, that doesn't mean all of those people inherently know each other. Mm. So we felt like it was a missed opportunity to not invite them to get to know each other. So in addition to name tags, which we had everyone wear, it was optional, magnets so that you wouldn't have to ruin any fancy clothing. We also spent several hours writing a short one-line description that was something quirky and interesting about that individual. So when you're standing in the bar line and you see someone and they have a name tag that says, just one Emmy, which was someone's name tag. Her response was, well, my partner has three Emmy Awards. And then it's like a really interesting talking point. <laughs> uh, and your par- you made your parents wear them too, right? We did, yeah. yeah that's, that's hilarious. Um, and, uh, and people have kept them. This yeah. wedding was like seven or eight years ago, and people tell me they still have their name tags on their fridge. It was really, it really meant a lot to people. So it's an interesting like physical memento and also it had like near-term value, right? So mm-hmm. like now people say the name tag because it was not... Like you said, it was more of like a physical thing as opposed to just the typical kind of paper with adhesive name tag. Yeah, it was a really good way to nudge along that spontaneity that we wanted to introduce at our wedding. Mm. Uh, How do you think you've been introducing spontaneity uh, related to connection recently? This this day and age with post-COVID, I'm a big believer of the hyper-local community being more important than ever. So... I've doubled down on things like my local block. We have a WhatsApp thread. We try to do like stoop hangs, you know, a couple times every season. I've been hosting in my backyard, backyard gatherings. I call them garden parties because I have a garden unit on the Upper West Side, which is really special. I like to host Friday night dinners where I bring in a couple or a couple of friends that we cook together. And these little moments are just really meaningful for folks more so now than ever. Mm, hyper local community Mm -hmm. so like elusive but so it's like the opposite of just like the anonymized social media accounts (laughs) what's uh like how do you get a garden party going or how actually the people on the block how did you start to connect with the people on the block 
Halloween is the best way to connect with people on the block if you live mm-hmm. in a city because people don't travel for Halloween. They all go outside and you are going door to door. So when I moved to this new block a couple of years ago, I knew Halloween was going to be a big day. Plus, I have a child now, so I have an excuse to dress up and go door to door. And Halloween was really the first time where I saw people were gathering and making friends. And we just started to exchange contact info. And now whenever we meet someone else on the block, we add them to the WhatsApp thread. And it's really quite active, which is lovely. Yeah. Oh, I love that Halloween. Like if I, if yeah. I need an egg, then I can just like text the thread and it actually works. <laughs> I'm in a... I'm in a group message as well, a group uh, text as well. And I don't know exactly how I got added. Um, but sometimes there is people say like, hey, does anyone, anyone have a baking sheet? Mm-hmm. And like, I'm cooking brownies. And you're like, huh. Like, it's it almost looks like a weird request, but it's actually like super valuable. Like, that's a, like. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of definitions for what it means to be in a community. And one that I ascribe to is that it means other people care about you and your well-being. And it can be really hard to feel that way um, in an online anonymous social platform or in a major urban city center. So finding little moments of connection I think is what keeps people like sticking together and like, you know, sticking up for each other and looking out for each other. And it, you know, even if it's just about a baking sheet, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And so on the topic of community and hyperlocal community, it seems like, um, like you were saying, I had a blog post, I think titled build your own community. Yeah. BYOC. BYOC. Yeah. There's BYOB to the BYOC uh-huh. or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, what um you mentioned some of some some of the things you've been doing uh but maybe talk a little bit like why it's might be like more important to you now and yeah well i think covid changed a lot of things for a lot of people for me i became a mom for the first time which is lonely in itself i changed jobs several times and every time you change a social network you sort of lose access to that group Um, and I decided to go completely independent in my career so I no longer had the built-in construct of Mm. just being a part of an organizational structure so all three of those things combined really made me realize I wasn't having those like serendipitous run-ins with folks and I was feeling really lonely and I actually think loneliness is a really big still current side effect of the pandemic that many of us maybe aren't acknowledging um and i noticed it happening to me and rather than sort of do the natural thing when you're lonely and just sit by yourself and continue to be lonely i i did the thing that was like really hard which is like to reach out and start Mm. to like invite people in so i brought in probably 50 or 60 people to our new apartment in like ones and twos and like small gatherings in the backyard and little dinner parties. And I realized those were the days of the week that I was happiest. Mm. Um, And one of the things I was surprised and sad by was after six months of this, I actually wasn't getting a lot of reciprocal invitations um, Mm. to other people's places. And it was still early. It was like early 2022. It was winter. It was cold. It was a pretty rough time to be in the city, but I realized like it's hard to have that momentum to do that yourself. And many people were still sort of getting into their own habits of what does it mean to connect in a post COVID world. So I started in the spring to double down on it even more, reaching out to a lot of the people I'd spoken with in, in the fall and hosted and said, Hey, do you want to do something with me? Can we co host together? Mm-hmm. 
And I'll invite some of my friends. You invite some of your friends. Let's like bring together people to talk about a topic. And that's when I started hosting these garden parties in my backyard. And every time I would host them, people would, I would say there were 6 to 8 p.m. People would stay until 10. They were so (laughs) surprised. They were like, wow, this is amazing. I would get like 40 or 50% of people canceling because it was still like, like kind of a social glue that we hadn't yet re-coalesced around. But um, I was realizing like every Tuesday night was becoming the thing that I really appreciated the most in my week. And people were telling me it was the thing they appreciated the most in their week. And soon I had like 150 or 200 people that I'd just been like continually inviting to these things and growing my network and growing their networks. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm realizing now that if you're not getting it given to you in your workplace or your family or whatever networks you're a part of, um, that like muscle of building your own community based on the things that you like to do is just like a really important thing as a human. Yeah. I like that idea of like, well, and hopefully things have shifted a little bit. Now you're getting invites to, to events. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to you, actually. Yeah. Um, and, but this idea of like, how do you make it just a little bit easier? Like, and I think co-hosting like, um, yeah, it is a way to like, and especially maybe like you like verbalize it to say like, hey, let's do this because like here's the win, win, win. Mm-hmm. And then people are like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, um, so it's it seems- scary to start something. It's yeah. safer to do it with a friend. It's, there's like a lot of um, like little micro yeses to get people excited to show up that I'm learning about for me. And I think it can be really intimidating to say like, oh, I don't have the energy to start a meetup or I don't have the the idea of what to do. But I've just started turning things I like to do into community things as well. So one of the things I like to do is pick flowers in the flower district in New York City. Uh There's this amazing block that has these floral shops and bulk um, garden supplies that sell to all the flower shops in the city that do backyards and rooftops and corporate functions. And you can go there as an individual and buy an amazing bouquet or a really cheap orchid before it's resold for $70 down the street. You could buy one for $30 on 28th Street. And I just love to spend some time on that on that block. And I realized like, hey, maybe other people would want to do this too. So I just posted on LinkedIn and said, hey, anyone interested in Flower Fridays, come meet me in the Flower District before work. We could pick bouquets together and then drink lattes. And I had over 50 people respond and say, this is something I'd like to do. I've never heard of this before. And then that was able to just sort of become part of my habits that now I'm inviting other people to join. And it's just been really satisfying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this idea of like, what are the hobbies that you're already doing? And then how can you like bring people in? And it feels like that is an example of something else somebody else was doing. But yeah, like it's, it like seems not it almost seems too easy or too simple or not as complex as you might think it should be. I mean, it seems <laughs> it seems totally stupid, right? Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm like, this is something I like to do. I don't know if anyone else wants to do this. But there are def- there's enough people out there, and the internet is helping us find yeah. anyone who's ready and excited to do the stupid thing. In fact, I even have competition. I've seen, since I started Flower Fridays, I've seen bonsais over beer. <laughs> and I've seen... Um, little succulents, um, a create your own succulent shop. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. So you can really yeah. find anything. Yeah. <laughs> anything could be a community. And you mentioned how like you'd gone through some job changes, career changes, et cetera. 
um, and now kind of you don't have the built-in social dynamic. I think you're calling it fully fractional. I'm fully fractional. Fully fractional. Um, so maybe for someone who's not familiar what what fully fractional means, like can you maybe paint a picture of like what today was like for you? Yes. Well, I so I'll maybe just start with describing what fractional work is in general, cool. and then I can tell you about my day, which is different every day. Um, fractional work is a new way of working where you dedicate part of your time to several employers simultaneously. And this is not the same as consulting, where you kind of dip in and dip out, and you sort of keep an arm's length at that company. But I'm actually, I consider myself to be an employee, just not one that's there 40 hours a week. I have an email address at like four different places. Um, My time commitments dip up and down based on their demand, but I am like an extension of that company. And that is what fractional work is. No one gets more than 50% of my time. And as a result, I've built this sort of portfolio approach of, you know, anywhere from like three to six projects at a time. Hmm. No more than 50%. Okay, so that's kind of like, is that an intentional breakdown or do you think that's more of like kind of what the market looks like? That's been my preference um, because I like to do multiple things at once. And I think I'm trying to hedge against my own tendencies here where if someone, if I'm saying you get more than 50% of my time, then they suddenly are getting 90% of my time. Mm. And then I, I sort of, there's like a slippery slope to the other things that I am trying to do as well. Um, right now, I'm doing a lot of work at the intersection of emerging technology and public education. And these things might seem like crazy, unrelated things, but I believe there is a convergence of being mm. good enough in both domains simultaneously where I can bring things together in really interesting intersections. And for that to work, I need to be able to split in a in a way that lets me dedicate enough expertise in each area. Yeah. All right. And I like the way that you've been thinking about fractional. And I think that a quote, one of your blog posts uh, was around, I didn't, I didn't go fractional to level out. I did it to level up. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. Well, I think... <sighs> There is a perception that if you leave full-time work, like a full-time employer, it's because you want to work less or you want to go part-time or you want to spend more time with your kids. And I was just really sensitive to the bias of mom of two who suddenly leaves the venture capital job to like work part-time because she's like no longer in the game right Mm. and i've been trying to sort of fight against that bias which might be in my own head but i think i think some of that it does sort of exist the thing that i realized though is as a mom of two with covered childcare between nine and five it's really hard for me to do things outside of the nine to five now Mm. and up until the moment i had kids I was spending my nights and my weekends doing my hobbies and my side hustles and my random interests. And now from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., I'm in bedtime mode. And before 9 a.m., rather than writing blog posts and doing podcast interviews, I am breastfeeding a kid. I am preparing lunches for the day. I am trying to convince a three-year-old to put on their pants. Um, So it really realized for me, like, I actually need 
space during the nine to five that feels inaccessible if I'm tied to one employer during that entire arc. And the thing that made me realize this the most was when I spent six months in Australia. I spent six months in Australia in early 2021 where I was working remotely full-time for a company here in the U.S., working U.S. hours. So I was getting up every day at 4 in the morning. I was on Zoom calls until 9 a.m. my time. Um, By noon Australia time, everyone here was offline. And my workday was done by 12 or 1 p.m. And my kid was still in daycare until 5 p.m. So I had this glorious five-hour period of daytime hours Mm. to go to museums and read a book and have a glass of wine. And then I picked up the kid and then I did the routine. So I've been wondering, how do I get that amount of flexibility in my day again? And how do I start to build like a lifestyle around these new constraints, which are children? I love them, but they are constraints. (laughs) Um, And that's where like fractional work, like really unlocked it for me. And because I knew I wanted to pursue like a sort of North Star objective around my own sort of personal mission. And that involves figuring out what's new and interesting in emerging technology and figuring out how to incorporate some of those elements into the way that we're teaching in school and how do we think about working with all these new things. Um, I needed to be able to do that in different parts of the day. And that's, that's why for me, like working fractionally is not working less. I'm actually accomplishing more, but I'm doing it in a modular way and on mm. my own terms and on my own time. And is it, um, so like right now, it sounds like you're, call it fully staffed. Yeah. Or, or like you have multiple, you have, you said, you've, you said four email addresses, you have four. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. <laughs> if you asked me two weeks ago, how are, how are things going? I would have said, I have no idea. I had three contracts that are all ending September 15th and I don't know how I'm going to make money this fall. Like true story. Um, I worked one or two projects this summer and I put 90% of what I earned to my child's daycare payment for the fall. And I was like, wow, this is not working. Um, I need to earn a lot more money. So, um, you know, since then I have been thinking a lot about my pricing, like how I'm working and I've been learning like you would if you're selling a product in this case the product is me and there are things that you learn about yourself every rep um I so right now I'm like wrapping up these two projects and negotiating um three to six contracts for my fall work that are all very different states of evolution everything from a grant application which is due um right now actually at 5 p.m that i believe is being submitted on my behalf i hope so um to like retainer work for some of these projects yeah. i've been doing to some net new projects that i'm just like starting to scope around um which is exciting but it is always like a kind of hustle to sort of figure that out yeah okay and then would you say like how to how to how to do you, you said it's a hustle, but how much do you think is like outbound versus like inbound? And yeah, it's a really good question. I think that anyone has the potential to do this kind of work, but you never can turn off the outbound. Mm. And like you, I've been building outbound since before I've even been working this way. 
because I have blog posts from 2018 and 2019 that people still read and come back to me. And that's also now becoming Mm -hmm. inbound for me. So I think if you are open to the idea of sort of constantly being on that path of like self-promotion um, and that's exciting for you, like it's exciting for me, this could be like a really great like mode of work for you, but it does take like muscle to do that. And also it takes an amount of context shifting that people might find uncomfortable. Mm. I think moms are actually very well equipped for context <laughs> shifting. <laughs> um that's uh that's gonna be an interesting like yeah that's uh there was something else about context switching in oh people with like adhd Mm. people say that a lot about like oh that means you can be good entrepreneurs because like you're constantly like bouncing around to different things and stuff but i guess also being a mom could be good for Yeah, I mean, like, my nightmare scenario is, like, oh, God, Bethany can't focus on anything. She can't work on a project for more than nine months without getting bored. She doesn't get deep into anything. She's just this epic generalist, you know. And, like, that feeling absolutely exists, particularly during weeks, like, two weeks ago, where I'm, like, I have no guaranteed fall income, and I am now a parent of two and have a family to support. However, um, I think like personal branding and like that sort of like self-assurance is important to sort of go through the ebbs and flows in the process. And on the flip side, it's really hard to hire someone else that brings my level of skills because I am constantly doing the harder thing, which is trying to make sure I understand decentralized finance and how like AI hallucinations work in the same breath as I'm trying to understand the nuances of the charter school system versus the public school system and convince New York City public schools to build something interesting at scale. So, um, and the (laughs) fact that like, I'm able to think about both of those things at once has taken years of practice of doing context shifting. Um, And I started to realize that it wasn't going to be possible for me to let go of one of those parts Mm. because I keep getting inbound now in both these areas. And I keep getting full-time job interest in both of these areas, which is also interesting to me um, because it's signaling that on some level I have somehow convinced people in both of these disparate areas that I have enough expertise to be a full-time employee. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's like lean into this yeah. now <laughs> and like signal. try to keep yeah. doing yeah. try to keep doing whatever this is middle ground in, yeah. the, in the middle here. Yeah. What do you think you've learned from um, so couple roles before? You were the general manager of Union Square Ventures, which is a leading um, venture capital firm based here in New York. Like, what do you think that you learned from like interacting with like a hundred founders, or like the like just because you had like a unique access there? Like, what do you think people that you know maybe only interact with like one founder because that's like the CEO of their company, but you were interacting with so many of them? What do you think? like you notice there about maybe like how to maybe like pitch them work or yeah. Yeah, I I can talk for hours about why that job set me up so well for the type of work that I'm doing now, not the least of which is working with the smartest people I've ever worked with and seeing how they manage a vast amount of context shifting in their day to day because any venture capitalist is constantly trying to become 
enough of a specialist in a lot of different generalist areas to make smart investments across a lot of domains and help people in all these disparate areas run successful businesses. So my job in working with 100 plus founders was to find patterns between the drone company and the healthcare company and talk to them about how the women's period tracking app community builder could learn from the mobile app software developer two-person team building in Bushwick. Um, so it really started for me to, to build that like linkage connection web, which I think is really important. And I think the other thing it really taught me was how to understand my own leadership style. I think mm. it's really rare to see so many different types of leaders and builders. And I started to notice what type of style I gravitated to and what type I like really admired, but like couldn't really fathom and where I would sort of fit into that ecosystem and the the unique like role and value that I could bring um, to a company based on like my sort of subset of skills. So that was all like really interesting. Mm-hmm. And would you say like generally like most CEOs are like open to cold email about mm-hmm. like ideas about the company, about potentially like yeah, like if you're looking to yeah, get connected yeah. with a startup CEO yeah, yeah. for business or for yeah. some partnership. I think most CEOs appreciate someone who has done their homework. Mm. And that looks a lot different based on who you are. So would I send a crypto founder a cold email? Probably not. I would ping them on Telegram because if I'm emailing them, that's sort of signaling I'm a little bit too boomer to work with them. (laughs) Okay, but would I email the CEO of a public company? Um, Yeah, I would send them an email, but I would never send them a LinkedIn message. But I would absolutely send a LinkedIn message to a CEO who's like posting on LinkedIn every other day because they're promoting themselves. So I think um, I think that the medium really matters. And it, I think if you are coming to them with a specific ask that you that is well researched and that you are demonstrating that you understand who their audience is and how you can be helpful, then most people are absolutely always looking for talent to help like that. Mm, OK, the medium is important. OK, and <laughs> I was thinking earlier when we were talking about the like the day in the life. I don't know how I didn't bring up the picture frame story. Oh yeah, but... <laughs> that was like the best day of my life. <laughs> what what made it the best day of your life? Well, I I think that if you live in New York City, it just gets harder to stay in New York City. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it gets easier because you are um, entering different income earning brackets as you are maturing in your career and you have access to better jobs. But it gets harder because... I, you know, I'm now married, I have two children, um, and the, the amount of money that I have to pay every day just like increases. And it is the easier thing to leave the city um, and take it slow. So I look for reasons to fall in love with the city to remind me to stay. And days like the picture frame day are like really great examples of that. So one day I was just walking to work. This was a pre-pandemic day, obviously, because <clears throat> when does anyone go to work anymore? Um, I wa- I found a giant picture frame, empty picture frame with this like beautiful gold trimmed vintage antique frame. And I said, wow, wouldn't I love this in my home? But I was running late for a breakfast meeting and I just didn't have time to bring it home. So 
I picked it up. I could almost fit into it. That's how like large this frame was. It was maybe like four and a half feet tall and like three feet wide. And I brought it with me on the subway. And I was like, yeah, I am that person on the subway carrying this giant picture frame around. Um, but then I decided to just own it. And I just started taking pictures of the frame. And then when I got off um, the subway, I was like, oh, let me take a picture of the cityscape behind this frame because I can see the Empire State Building and it's really pretty. And then I took the frame into Le Pen Quotidien for breakfast. And then the people I was with, I was like, oh, this is so fun. And they're like, oh, we're celebrating our product launch today. Can you take a picture of us in your frame? And I was like, sure. And then other people at the Penca TDM were like, oh, this frame is so cool. Could we take a picture in it? And then I realized I was starting a meme. <laughs> so, <laughs> which um, I'm not a very big influencer or social media person. So this is a very exciting thing for me. And I was like, okay, let me just like document this day. So I went through the entire day walking around the city, carrying this frame, asking people to take a picture with me, taking pictures of them and just carrying it all around. And um, I just unlocked so many lovely New York moments and I met mm. so many people and I ended up bringing the frame with me to the affordable art fair later that night and like carrying it around. And what was funny is the New York Times thought I was like I had purchased it at the fair. So they took a picture of me, which ended up in the New York Times like the next day, which is hilarious. Um, but it was just this like lovely quintessential New York day. And you can follow it on on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> pin tweet, pin yeah. tweet. What do you think? I, I liked what one person's comment one person's comment in there, which has said something about like, hey, if you uh, like, it's incredible what strangers will do for you if you have a piece of paper and they think that you're playing a game, but they don't know the game exists before yeah. or something like that. It was like, which was like, I kind of took that as like the the generosity and the humanity that's inside of people. And it just sometimes takes like a little bit of surprise or like, a random little request that seems kind of low lift like sometimes like the classic like hey will you take a picture for us like people will do that totally like, it doesn't um so that just like seemed like another example where it was like hey do you want to get in this frame and yeah i think that any type of connection and community building is about really small invitations to do something slightly unexpected whether that's putting on a name tag at a wedding which seems a little funny, but then it like invites things or taking a picture in a picture frame. Um, I think just you don't have to go that far outside of what people's day is looking like to invite them to do something a little bit quirky. And I think that's where the magic of connection happens. Mm, anything else that uh, you think you've noticed about the magic of connection or community building that you want to share? Anything else about the magic of connection or community building? Um, I think that the in-person energy is also like the contagiousness of that is something I love. And that's one of the things I miss the most about this world um, today is we just don't have as many opportunities to do that. I did bring the frame out two more times in public after that epic day. <laughs> Once I brought it to the Great Lawn in Central Park and it happened to be on a day when like the LGBT community was having like a bikini party in the Great Lawn. And I have these amazing photos of people in various states of undress all wearing the frame. And as soon as I brought that out, I didn't even have to wait five minutes and suddenly it was being handed off in this crowd of 500 people that were just like turning it into their own mm. meme. And that was just like really lovely. The second time I brought it out again was, um, the election in 2020 um, when people in New York were popping champagne on the streets I brought it to Central Park to Strawberry Fields and just let people like play with it around the like imagine sign on the on the ground there um, and I think yeah I, I think people just really 
um, are waiting to be tapped. Mm. And I think if you have an idea and you want people to participate, the slight extra effort to ask for someone to do something specific with you goes much farther than like a generalized push. I notice this problem with teams. I notice it with nonprofit boards and I notice it with communities where people want to be closer to the community. They want to do more work for that community, but they're not being asked the questions Mm. in the right way from the community leaders and or they don't feel like they have permission to step up and do it themselves. Mm. And I think that's actually like the biggest thing I notice in group dynamics as an issue. People on teams want to be putting forward their best foot. They want to be doing more work um, and they want to be recognized by their manager or their CEO or their leader of being able to bring their full potential. And maybe they're just waiting to be asked like, hey, what can you do? What, what do you want to do? How can you bring that to us? I'm in this amazing co-working space right now called Workplace. It's a hybrid parent co-working space plus childhood daycare. And this is a really new community. It just launched in June. We're in August right now. We're starting to get to know each other. There's about 28 families that are here. And I am really excited to watch the evolution of this community because I think from everything like, hey, the family that's going to bring bagels on Friday mornings and start to like bring folks together or, hey, we're all working late on Monday night. Let's make a big vat of mac and cheese and just all mm. eat with our kids. Like I'm, I'm excited to see that sort of stepping up happening and I really think um, like this space is one example of people sort of waiting to be tapped. And my guess is no matter who you are and what types of community you run, there are people around you that are like waiting to be asked to do a little bit more work. And um, I think they're just like, that's how community gets unlocked. Love it. Love it. Love it. So anything else? I know we could talk a lot longer. Um, Anything else about fractional work, like the current state of knowledge work? Uh, you recently had a couple blog posts about the next era or the new era of yeah uh, I, I I really um I really believe that the way work is progressing is toward a mode where everyone is going to have to be a little more entrepreneurial. And I think that's an exciting thing because I think when we have the power to shape our own lives and careers, we stop asking, what's my dream job? And we start asking, what's my dream lifestyle? Mm. And for me, my dream lifestyle includes a lot of work, but it also includes family and includes travel. And I'm, I'm starting to figure out what that looks like in this like composite that wasn't possible before when I needed to be in person one place, when I needed to be at one machine all day long, when I needed to be physically present with one person. Um, and I think tooling like AI is helping make our jobs faster than ever before. Mm. And that means we should have more free time in the day to do this type of thing. So um, I, I think, and by the way, things are changing so much faster. Mm. My dad had a 30 year career at Ford Motor Company. And then when things went down in the 2008 recession, it was really hard for him mm. to pivot from that. And in fact, he never needed to know how to pivot. So he never had to. And now 50% of college grads are not pursuing the thing in their major and I think that's just okay and that's the norm and when we think about the skills we need for the next phase of work I think we're sort of handicapping ourselves by only doing the major only doing the degree path version and instead if we're thinking about our work as a composite of the skills that we bring we unlock a lot of different optionality for ourselves so I think I think fractional work 
is the future for a lot of people. I think working more entrepreneurially is um, like one of the ways we can unlock a little bit more satisfaction there without relying on one mega employer to provide all of our social lives, all of our benefits, be responsible for all of our compensation and all of the upside that is required from that and where we live and how we live, you know, and like there's just like a lot more options there, but it's also scary. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you can always go back and listen to this podcast episode if you need a little bit more reassurance. And, um, and, uh, so if people want to follow up and stay in touch, uh, Twitter, brand new website. At bethanycrystal.com. You can find me there and read some more of my articles. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thanks for having me. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.